Let's turn to Genesis 30 and 31. And as you do that, I want to briefly remind you of the big picture of what's happening in the book of Genesis. Remember, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates the universe, the heavens, and the earth. And then in chapter 3, tragically, Adam and Eve do what we've all done. They are tempted by the serpent, and they decide to turn their backs on their creator because they're going to make up their own minds how they're going to live. So the Bible calls sin. And as a result of their sin, they and all of humanity in the world are brought under God's curse. Absolutely tragic. But also in chapter 3, God promises, amazing promise, that one of Eve's offspring is going to crush the serpent's head. One of Eve's offspring is going to destroy Satan's work. And that's a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. Offspring of Eve, a human being, fully man and fully God. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, he paid for the sins of all who had put their trust in him. And by doing that, he frees them from being under the curse and brings them to being under God's blessing. You remember that day when you moved from being under God's curse to being in God's blessing. Glory to God. So that's chapter 3. Then chapters 4 through 11, sin spreads. And by the time we get to chapter 12, it looks like sins fill the whole world, but God raises up Abraham and promises that one of Abraham's offspring is going to bring salvation to people from every ethnic group. So people from every race, tongue, and tribe are going to be transferred from God's curse to being in God's blessing. And that also is a prophecy of who? Jesus, right? There's our Lord Jesus, Genesis 3, Genesis 12. And through the rest of Genesis, we see God repeating this promise of salvation and securing this promise of salvation, overcoming obstacles to this promise of salvation. That goes through the rest of the book of Genesis. Life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph is still to come. We're going to cover that maybe next year. Okay, so that's the big picture of what God does in Genesis. But there's, there's another theme, a subplot, if you will, and that is Moses, through the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, wants to teach us who God is and what God promises to do for those who trust him. Who God is and what God promises to do for those who trust him. And that's what's happening in the life of Jacob. Let me just give you a brief recap of Jacob's life. It's not pretty. He comes into the scene in Genesis 27 as a deceiver, lies to his father in order to get the family blessing. That's chapter 27. But then in chapter 28, God reveals himself to Jacob. Jacob is transformed, becomes a worshiper who trusts God, Genesis 28. But he's not perfect because in the next verses, we see him traveling north to find a wife And he does it without any reliance or dependence upon God whatsoever. Relies entirely on himself, and the result is disastrous. Ends up with two wives, a family that's full of bitterness, jealousy, suspicion, pain, anger, conflict, tension. That's what happens when you rely on yourself and don't rely on God. But now in in this next section, chapter 30 and 31... I think what Moses wants to do is to show us that God now is going to come and reveal himself to Jacob and say, Jacob, stop relying on yourself. God wants to show Jacob how near he is, how real he is, 
how powerful he is for all those who trust him. And this is going to be very powerful because in this passage, Jacob faces two seemingly impossible problems. And we're going to see God deliver him from both of them. God delivers Jacob from impossible problems. And this is not just what God does for Jacob. Some of you are facing impossible problems right now. And I think God wants you to hear a very encouraging, powerful, direct word to you from Genesis 30 and 31, that just as God delivered Jacob from his impossible problems, so with you, because you're trusting Jesus Christ, God will deliver you from your impossible problem. Now, some of you maybe aren't in impossible problems right now. That's okay. You will be. All right? Everybody faces impossible problems. So file this away for future reference. Pull it out. You'll find it helpful then. So let's start with this question. What problem does Jacob face? He's living a couple hundred kilometers north of his home country where he went to find a wife. But it's time to move back south to his family. But he has no resources, has no wealth. And so we see that in verses 29 through 30. You see the problem. Jacob said to him, he's talking to Laban, his father-in-law. We're going to learn more about Laban in a moment. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now... When shall I provide for my own household also? See the problem? Jacob needs to build up his own wealth so he can move his family south and take care of them. He shares this problem with Laban. And look at how Laban responds in verse 31. He, Laban, said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. So here's what's going on. As a result of Jacob's hard work, Laban has a massive flock of sheep and goats. Now, most all of them would have been white. So Jacob makes him an offer that's more than fair. He says, as my wages, I'll just pick out the ones that are speckled, spotted, black, whatever, just a very small number of them. I'll take those, and from that, I will raise up my flock, and then I'll take them with me. Laban says, that sounds like a wonderful deal. Let's plan on that. But look at what Laban does in verse 35. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, spots of white, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons, and he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured, pastured the rest of Laban's flock. 
Okay, so before Jacob could remove the speckled, spotted, mottled, black, Laban stole them and had them taken care of by his sons three days away. So Jacob's left looking through this flock. They're all white. They're all pure, perfect white. Where, do you see the impossible situation Jacob is in? He's in a foreign country. He's working for a man who is clearly terribly wicked, greedy, scheming, unjust, wicked, right? And Jacob is facing an impossible situation. His wages are going to be the black, spotted, spotted, mottled ones, and they're all gone. What does Jacob do? He needs to produce some striped, speckled, mottled, black sheep and goats. What does he do? Start reading in verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plain trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. So Jacob had the flocks mate in front of sticks that had been peeled so that they were like black and white. And we're not sure why Jacob did this. God didn't tell him to do this. Uh, it may be that part of the folklore of the time was that what animals were looking at while mating would affect the color of the offspring. That very possibly might be what was going on. We don't know exactly why, but that's not all that Jacob does. Verse 40, And Jacob separated the lambs, that's probably the, the pregnant use from the previous verses, set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. Laban's flock had moved back from closer to three days now, so he has them looking at the dark ones in Laban's flock. He put his own droves apart, did not put them in with Laban's flock. Verse 41, whenever the stronger of the flocks were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So there's all this breeding practices that, that Jacob's involved in. And what ends up happening? Verse 43. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So Laban's flock stays about the same size. Jacob's flock grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. All these black, spotted, mottled sheep and goats, Laban's flock stays the same. Jacob's grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And I think the question Moses wants us to ask is, why? Why did Jacob's flocks grow so rapidly? I think he tells us in the next section. Start with verse 1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. So Laban's sons are furious. 
Laban's flock staying the same. Jacob's growing, 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 and Laban's sons are angry. Verse 2, and Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. So Laban and his sons are angry at Jacob. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah, his wives, into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. Underline that phrase. Think about that. We're going to come back to that. The God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. Let me explain what that means. What Laban did was if the flocks were starting to give birth, say, to striped, then Laban would say, okay, now you you can get the the mottled ones, not the striped ones, because if the flocks are producing striped, but and, and then, oh, now that we're producing models, okay, so, so you're going to get speckled ones now instead. So Laban kept changing the kind of flocks Jacob would get depending on what the flock was producing, so he wouldn't get what the flock was producing. You get that? He changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. They changed. All of a sudden, boom, spotted. If he said, okay, no, 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 the striped now shall be your wages, wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. So notice, it's God who's making the offspring what color they are. It's God who's adding to Jacob's flocks. That's what Jacob attributes all of this to. He sees that it's God. Keep reading in verse 10. God does more. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and modeled, for I have seen, remember that, I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Reference back to Genesis 28 when God appeared to Jacob. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now, arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So God gives Jacob a dream in which all the animals that are mating are speckled, spotted, mottled. And I think God's point is to say, Jacob, your wages are going to be the black, speckled, mottled ones, and all the offspring are going to be as if all the animals mating are black, speckled, or mottled. In other words, they're all going to be black, speckled, mottled, which means they're all going to be yours. I've seen what Laban's done to you. I'm going to provide all the flocks you need. That's the message of this dream to Jacob. And the reason God does this is the end of verse 12, because God has seen all that Laban is doing to Jacob. So why do Jacob's breeding practices work? 
It's because God miraculously made them work. Don't try this at home. Okay? It's not going to make any difference with your animal colors. Okay? It's because God miraculously made this work. But I want you to see, God is solving Jacob's impossible problem. He's working for a father-in-law who is a cheat, who is a crook, who is blatantly dishonest, who just uses, uses, uses Jacob. That's his intention. It looks absolutely impossible. What could Jacob possibly do to extricate himself from that situation? And God delivers him from his impossible problem. But there's a second impossible problem, and that is that Laban and his sons are angry at Jacob. So how does God solve that? How does God reconcile Jacob and Laban and his sons? Verse 17. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock and his possession that he had acquired in Padanaram to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Let's just pause there for a moment. There's times in the Old Testament, maybe New Testament also, but when there's great irony being used here, almost like sarcasm against false gods. So picture Laban who has these household gods who he bows down to and he worships. But somebody stole them. Rachel stole them. It's like instead of a kidnapping, it's a godnapping. Okay? But my counsel is, is if your god can be kidnapped, you need to find a better god. Okay? I mean, if, it's like, I've got to find where my god is. I mean, you're in big trouble. Okay? So the god of Genesis 30 and 31 cannot be kidnapped. The god of Genesis 30 and 31 is over everything with complete, absolute, sovereign power. So little chuckle here. Rachel stole her poor father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. So Jacob leaves without telling Laban, Rachel steals Laban's household gods, and then Laban and his kinsmen start to pursue them, and they pursue them for seven days, which shows this is serious business. They're after them. They're in hot pursuit of Jacob and his family. So what does God do? Remember, possible problem? What does God do? Verse 24. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now that phrase, that's like a Hebrew idiom, a turn of phrase that means don't harm him. God is coming to Laban saying, don't touch him. Don't harm him. So not only have we seen God miraculously increasing Jacob's flocks, solving that impossible problem, now we see God protecting Jacob from Laban's pursuit, protecting him from that impossible problem. Keep reading. Verse 25, Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban and his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me 
and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me, so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Suddenly he's the model father here, right? Just full of love for his family. Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Humor. Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. That wouldn't be beyond Laban to do. We've seen what he does. Verse 32, Jacob says, Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Uh Uh-oh. The tension's building. Okay? Whoever has your household gods, they can be killed. He didn't see see Rachel's face when he said those words. He didn't know Rachel had stolen them. Verse 33, so Laban went into Jacob's tent. I love the drama now that's increasing here. Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Mm, What's going to happen? Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Again, these poor household gods <laughs> sitting, being sat on. I mean, it's, it's a very sad situation for these gods. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Do you see what's happening? Jacob unknowingly put Rachel's life at risk by saying whoever has the household gods will be killed. God protects not just Jacob from Laban, but God protects Rachel from Laban. Rachel is still to give birth to the 12th son, Benjamin. God is protecting Rachel. She has a vital plan in this, plus he loves Rachel. Then, next section. God uses Jacob's words to change Laban's heart. This is very powerful speech that Laban, excuse me, that that Jacob gives here. Verse 36, then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. He still doesn't know that anybody stole the household, poor little household gods. Jacob became angry, berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin? that you have hotly pursued me. For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. Then he broadens the picture. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. I've been completely scrupulously honest in my dealings with you. What was torn by wild beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself, out of his own flocks. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, 
and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I've been in your house, I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock during all the breeding practices. And you've changed my wages 10 times. This is a beautiful line here, verse 42. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, that phrase, fear of Isaac, is a name for God. God was Isaac's, Jacob's father's fear. Holy, reverent, awesome sense of the fear of God. So if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction. Underline that, God saw, again, God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night in that dream. Then Laban answered. So Laban now is chagrined. Laban answered, said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. Can't think of what to say, so he says stuff that just isn't true here. The flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. That's not true. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? So he's having a change of heart. Okay, I need to do something here. What can I do? How can I help? Verse 44, come now. Let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone, set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegar Sahadutha, which means heap of stones. But Jacob called it Galid, which means heap of witness, different languages. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah. Mizpah means watch post. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I've set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham, and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice, very important word there, in the hill country, and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. God has delivered Jacob from two seemingly impossible situations. Laban being in a foreign country working for a wicked, unscrupulous man who's changing his wages, cheating him. How's he possibly going to get resources so he can move back home? God miraculously delivers him from that situation. Laban's flocks stay the same. Jacob's grow and grow and grow and grow until Jacob has massive flocks of sheep and goats. And the second seemingly impossible situation, 
Jacob's father-in-law Laban and his sons are in hot pursuit of them, angry at his wealth, angry at him leaving. God brings Laban a dream. God gives Jacob words to speak. Laban's heart is changed. They make a treaty and they depart in, in peace. So this passage has God showing Jacob, don't ever rely on yourself again. I am this near. I am this close. I am this powerful. Trust me for everything. I will deliver you out of every impossible situation that you face. And not just Jacob. This is taught throughout the Bible. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, God promises that he will deliver us out of every impossible situation we face. Let me give you one promise to show you that. It's from Psalm 34, 19. Righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. It's a little bit puzzling. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. God allows the righteous to experience many afflictions. That's what this means. That's something very important to fix in our hearts and minds. Understand that. God, in his love, allows the righteous to experience how many afflictions? Many afflictions. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. None of the afflictions that God allows to come to you will he allow to, will he not deliver you out of. Now, how does he deliver us out of afflictions? There's, there's at least two different ways. It's important to important to understand the two different ways. One way he can deliver us is by miraculously changing the circumstances. That's what he did with Jacob here. Has his flocks just miraculously multiply, all the speckled, spotted, and mottled. Has a dream come to Laban. So God can miraculously change flock offspring. He can change Laban's heart. He can change your manager's heart. He can heal your body. God can miraculously change your situation just by saying the word. God can deliver you by miraculous means. That's one way God does it. Another way God delivers us is by transforming us in the midst of the affliction. Do you understand that? I wrote it down this way. We can be delivered from the problem while we are still in the problem, right? Think about Paul and Silas had been beaten, were in prison, and what were they doing at midnight? They were singing praise to God. They were in prison, but they'd been delivered by God from prison. They were worshiping, praising, and glorifying Him. And God can deliver us from trials by so filling our hearts with peace, so filling our hearts with strength, so filling our hearts with joy in Him, that we are above the trial. We're in the trial, but we are free from the trial. You've experienced that. He can deliver us by miraculously changing our circumstances. He can deliver us by miraculously changing our hearts. I'm praying for a miraculous deliverance of this nerve thing, okay? I'm praying for that. But in the meantime, I'm saying, God, change my heart every day. So I'm full of joy every day. I have no fear any day. I'm saying, Jesus, you're worth it. To have more of you is worth having an unfeeling cheek for the day, right? This is how God works. But God will always deliver you from the problems that you're facing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
beautiful news here. Now, like I said earlier, some of you, I would guess right now, are facing seemingly impossible problems. It may be a work situation. Maybe the workload just keeps rising, growing. They're not going to hire any other people and just get, keeps getting piled on you. It looks impossible. Maybe it's somebody in your workplace who has a vendetta against you, has it out for you, and there's, you've tried to placate them. You've tried to reconcile with them. Nothing helps. It's just like they are, they are after you. Maybe it's a health issue. You can't see any way out of it. Maybe it's a financial quandary that you're in. Maybe it's a, a relationship in your extended family, or maybe it's difficulties in your marriage or with your parenting. I mean, the list just goes on and on. We, we all, from time to time, face situations that seem impossible. And what I want you to understand, and what, more importantly, what God wants you to understand this morning, is that he promises that because of what Jesus Christ has done in paying for your sins, he promises he will deliver you from that problem. He will. There's absolutely no question. Deliverance is coming. You can experience it while the problem is still there today, right now, and we'll pray that the problem goes away. But whatever God does, you'll be delivered from that problem. You'll be lifted from the burdens of the stresses, the difficulties, the consequences of that problem. So what I want to do in closing here is to give you four truths from this passage to strengthen your faith that God will deliver you from the problem that seems impossible to you. You have varying levels of faith, okay? So you're like, and I want you to be absolutely 100% confident when you leave here today because of God's word that he will deliver you. So you move into this day with peace, with trust, with hope, with confidence. Four truths in this passage. Here's the first one. It's the truth that God is merciful to sinners who trust him. See, Jacob had sinned in the previous passage, had tried to find a wife with no reliance upon God, and the results were disastrous. But here we see God's mercy toward him in multiplying miraculously the offspring and bringing a dream to him, a dream to Laban. We see God mercifully working on Jacob's behalf. How can God do that when Jacob had sinned in the previous chapter? Moses doesn't give us all the details of what's happening in Jacob's heart. I'm assuming Jacob's confessing and owning up to these things. But the big picture is that word sacrifice that we saw earlier in verse 54. Jacob offered a sacrifice. Now, what does that word sacrifice mean? Well, sacrifices were animal sacrifices. And what they picture in the Old Testament is that the person offering the sacrifice was transferring, it's a picture of transferring their guilt onto that animal. And that animal being punished in that person's place for that person's sin. And that's a picture pointing ahead to what Jesus would do on the cross thousands of years ahead. Remember when Jesus came and John the Baptist saw him, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the animal, the, what the animal sacrifices pictured. And so Jacob was trusting God and the promise of his Messiah for the forgiveness of his sins. And it's because of that that Jacob could receive God's mercy, even though Jacob was a sinful man. Now, here's why this is so important. It's because some of you may be thinking, I, I wish I could think that God might meet me and deliver me in this, but I've sinned. I've sinned yesterday. I've sinned three or four days ago. I've sinned this morning. And you have, and we all have. 
And see, here's the good news. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, by trusting him, you can be completely assured that you're forgiven and God is for you. God has forgiven you. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You will never know God's wrath. You will never know God's anger. All you will know for the rest of your life is God's love pursuing you with good, pursuing you with favor, pursuing you with his presence. So that's the first truth. God is merciful to sinners who trust him. Don't think you need to do a certain number of good things to get on God's good side before he will deliver you. You just look to him by faith and say, forgive me, I trust you, help me, and he's right there moving towards you with all that you need. Second truth, God sees you and your situation. We see that word see in chapter 31, verse 12. God says, I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. This is so important to understand. If you see yourself in an impossible situation, don't think God is ignoring you. Don't think God has turned his back on you. God is seeing you. He's not just seeing you. He's seeing every detail of your seemingly impossible problem. He knows the problem more thoroughly than you do. He knows everything about it, and he's there giving you his undivided attention because he has a plan for this. He has great good coming to you from this. You can trust him for this. He will deliver you, either miraculously taking the problem totally away or transforming you in the midst of the problem so you are more than a conqueror through the problem, like Paul says in Romans chapter 8. So God is seeing everything. Don't think God is ignoring you or has turned his back on you or has walked away from you. God is seeing everything about your problem. That's number two. God sees you in your situation. Third, God is sovereign over everything. This is so important, foundational to the whole thing. Why did all those white flocks give birth to spotted and speckled and mottled? Why? Because God decreed it. That's why. God said, let it be. Just like God said, let there be light, back in Genesis 1, and there was light. God said, let there be speckled, spotted, and mottled, and there were just like that. God is sovereign over the color of offspring. He controls every birth of every animal all around the world, all the time. All the time. He's also sovereign over your health. And he's sovereign over your boss. He can change your boss's heart just like that. Some of you have experienced that. He can change your heart just like that. Some of you have experienced that, right? He's sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over your workload, over your relationships. He's sovereign over everything. So he's forgiven you because you're trusting Jesus. He sees every detail of your problem, and he's in complete control, sovereign control of it all. It's the best news of the world. And fourth, God is for you. Jacob tells Laban that God is on his, Jacob's, Side And the, the Hebrew there is that God is for me. God is for me. And see, this is such a crucial truth. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, and because you're trusting Jesus, God is 100% for you, for Jesus' sake. He's completely for you. You have to understand the fact that there's an impossible problem you're facing does not mean that God has stopped loving you. 
God is for you. God cares about you. God loves you. God has deep affection for you. He is rejoicing over you to do you good even in this seemingly impossible problem that you're facing. So don't let impossible situations make you think God has forgotten you or that he's against you. He's allowed that to come because he's going to bless you. He's going to remove the problem miraculously or he's going to transform you miraculously in the problem. He will deliver you one way or the other. You can be absolutely confident of that. Now, let me say one last point, and that is if you are here today and you're not yet trusting Jesus, it would be unfortunate if you left here thinking, okay, God is going to deliver me from my work problem or my health problem or my this or this or this. You have those problems, but what you need to understand is that you have a massively more serious problem than those. And we love you too much not to tell you this. The massively more impossible problem you face is the problem of your sin. We've all sinned. We've all had this problem. We are all in the same boat together. We've all sinned against God and have come under God's judgment and have faced God's condemnation. And the beautiful truth of what Jesus Christ has done is that he died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would trust him. And all you need to do is just trust him. You look to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I trust you to forgive me. And he will completely forgive you because of his death on the cross for all your sins, past sins, present sins, future sins. You trust him to change you. He will start to change you. You can't change yourself. He will start to change you. You trust him to satisfy you. He will fully satisfy you. You will, for the first time, have your heart filled with the joy, the pleasure, the love you've longed for all your life because it's only found one place in knowing God through Jesus. So this is the massively most important problem you have. It's the problem of sin. Don't leave here thinking God's going to take care of my job situation or my finances or this or that if you're not yet trusting Jesus Christ. That would be a tragic mistake on your part. What you need to be thinking about if you're not yet trusting Christ is, I have a vastly more serious problem my sin problem, and God has loved me, and he sent Jesus to pay for my sin problem, and I can be forgiven for that today. And so trust him. Trust him now. Let us pray with you. Trust Jesus Christ now. That biggest problem will be resolved. You'll be saved. And then those of you who are trusting Christ, who are going through impossible situations, God promises because of Jesus, he will deliver you. He's promised. Let's stand together. <laughs> Father, I pray you would take this passage and these truths and right now deeply, deeply impact our hearts with them. Have them resonate in our hearts. Have them assure our hearts. Have them comfort our hearts. Have them strengthen faith in our hearts. I pray for anybody here, Lord, who's not yet trusting Christ, that right now they would see that the vastly most important problem that they have is their sin problem and that you've addressed that through the cross and that they can leave here with no condemnation before you. They can leave here completely forgiven, having their hearts being changed, having their hearts being filled with your love, 
God, save people right now, I pray. And Lord, for those who are already trusting you, who are facing impossible, seemingly impossible problems, right now, strengthen their confidence in you, that you are for them in Christ, that you forgive them through Christ, that you are sovereign over every detail of their problem and that you have promised to deliver them. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Thank you, Lord.